You're listening to On The Way, a podcast for the Center for Bible Study. I'm your host, Max Botner. It seems to me that many evangelical Christians like the idea of the Bible more than they like the Bible itself. In other words, (laughs) more often than not, people are dealing with an abstraction, something that they want to be affirmed about the Bible, and that's actually primary to dealing with the text of Scripture. And anytime you engage in serious study of the Bible, which is inevitably going to problematize those abstractions, you put yourself in a position of potentially being alienated from the community of faith that you, you grew up in or that you're a part of. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Those of you that are regular listeners will know that I took last week off. It was a much needed rest. Kind of made the decision last minute. I didn't have anything scheduled and um, I I needed the rest. Been doing a lot lately and it's kind of stretched me. And so it was nice to have a little bit of a break, but we're back into it. Really excited to be back on with you. I'm going to spend the next two episodes. So this one and the next, just talking about the future of theological education and what we're doing here at the Center of Bible Study. And this first one, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about my own journey and why I'm motivated to do what I'm doing here. I'm a full-time professor, and I've got a lot of other stuff going on, a lot of writing projects and things like that, so it might seem odd that I'm putting the amount of time and energy that I am into this, but it's something that I really feel called to, and so I want to just kind of explain a little bit, kind of answer three basic questions. So like, where where was I? What have, what, What's kind of led me to this point? How am I right now and what do I see in the future in terms of what we're trying to do with the Center for Bible Study? And then the next episode, I'm going to discuss a little bit more some of the trends and um, things that I've observed personally about theological education right now and what some of the challenges are that we're going to be facing, but also the opportunities. Uh, The Center for Bible Study is uh, really, in my view, a strategic move, one of many that I hope to see Christians making in theological education in the, the decades to come to meet the particular challenges that we are facing and are going to face. So yeah, that's the idea is kind of what's what's going on and where are we headed. If you're new to the podcast and this is your first episode, you may want to go back and have a look at some of our earlier conversations. Episode one in particular, I give you a bit of my story, background, and some of the motivation for launching the podcast. And then of course, if you're wanting to just jump into some Bible content, we've got a lot of great earlier episodes on books of the Bible. The last seven or so episodes have been on particular themes ranging from gender of God, women in scripture, specifically New Testament, Paul in Roman Empire, violence in the Bible. How do we handle trauma, religious trauma, and can the Bible speak to that and atonement and salvation in the Bible? So a lot of really good stuff. Feel free to jump back. You can hit pause on this one and jump back if you uh, if this is your first episode and you're wanting something along those lines. But I do want to take some time to just address these questions. Partially it's for me because I feel like it's fun to talk about and kind of share some of the lessons that I'm learning along the way. But I also am a big believer that in kind of sharing our stories, we uh, find points of connection. And so I'm hoping that in sharing some of my story and being a little bit vulnerable with y'all, it's helpful and that it might provide another lens for you to think about where you're at in your own journey. So that's kind of the hope and the intention behind it. And again, I think the more you can get a sense of where I'm coming from, the 
the more you'll have a sense of whether the Center for Bible Study is is something that you find helpful and will find helpful going forward in the future. So a bit of, about where I was at, as I mentioned in the very first episode, I did not really get interested in studying the Bible until college. And really, I didn't start studying it like academically until after college. I mean, I did a, a few Bible classes in college, but seminary was a kind of a big step up for me, as it is for most, right? And so I uh, entered into Fuller Theological Seminary in 2009. At that time, they had a Northern California extension campus and specifically a Sacramento extension campus. So I entered into Fuller there, and, and that was a really wonderful time, really challenging. It was the first time that a lot of the conversations, critical conversations that come up about uh, the history of the Bible, where it was written, by whom it was written, the context, original meaning, all of this kind of stuff kind of came as a uh, flood, as a deluge, as it does upon many. But the thing that I really appreciated about Fuller and my, my professors there was that they were men and women who were able to hold together really rigorous academic historical study of the Bible with a deep Christian faith. And so that's something that's had like a big impact on me. That's probably the biggest impact that Fuller's had on me is, aside from being a champion of uh, women in ministry, which is uh, another uh, staple of Fuller, is just the the willingness to go there, to go wherever the Bible leads, wherever historical data and evidence leads, and do it not from a position of fear, but from a position of faith and thinking holistically about how to hold multiple things together at once. Uh, that's a gift that I, I received from my professors at Fuller. They really modeled that well for me. And they modeled it in different ways. They, they disagreed on many different things and yet were able to show numerous ways forward that were fruitful and helpful. So I really appreciated that about Fuller. Again, I didn't grow up in the church, so a lot of the issues that people learned to that were like kind of big issues, I didn't sense that tension really until that time um, in, in my faith, until I learned that there were certain issues that were big issues and that people divided over and, um, you know, <laughs> canceled each other over and so forth. By the way, cancel culture, I know it's a thing now, but um, I, I would suggest that uh, the church, in particular the American Evangelical Church, has been practicing cancel culture for quite a long time now. So when we complain about cancel culture, we might want to look in the mirror first because those, those kind of dynamics of power and canceling people out, that's something that a lot of Christians have done for, for quite some time, and I think it's really unfortunate. So at this time, I was also kind of starting to feel a little bit of the cognitive dissonance that I know many seminarians feel or people that, that do go into more academic study of the Bible begin to feel in church, which is to say that you're starting to ask a whole new set of questions. And they're not questions that typically get addressed, if ever, in church. And you're also kind of wondering, like, if people knew some of the topics that I was discussing, some of the questions I was wrestling with. Would they think differently of me? Would they think maybe uh, I'm not a faithful Christian anymore because I don't think this way about a particular issue? Or there's a set of questions that I'm uncertain about now that people in my circles feel like you have to be absolutely certain about. So I began to feel kind of a little bit of that cognitive dissonance. And I think it's really within this beginning within this season that I began to learn in my early 20s kind of some lessons about trying to do biblical studies in an American evangelical context. And I know I'm painting with a bit of a broad brush here, and I know the term evangelical is constantly kind of shifting and being reworked. So bearing all that in mind, generally speaking, in most Protestant evangelical context in the country, it seems to me that there are some dynamics that make it really challenging to study the Bible carefully. And so I just wanted to name a couple and, and think about uh, with you lessons that I feel like I've learned along the way, and I just kind of want to share them. 
So the first is that it's become really clear to me over the years that for many Christians, and again, I'm speaking mostly from experience, but also what I've seen in writing and different dynamics that I see across the country, it seems to me that many evangelical Christians like the idea of the Bible more than they like the Bible itself. In other words, <laughs> more often than not, people are dealing with an abstraction, something that they want to be affirmed about the Bible, and that's actually primary to dealing with the text of Scripture themselves. And that, that happens on a number of different fronts. One is that people often take an idea of what they think biblical inspiration is, right? So the Bible itself, albeit, right, these, these are texts that are speaking about inspiration of other texts without a closed canon, so to speak, right? So when, when Paul writes, all scriptures God breathed, he's speaking about what Christians today would call the, the Old Testament. Of course, you can work in all the New Testament texts as well, but you have to have flexibility for the development of a canon and the idea that the Holy Spirit is overseeing that process, okay? So all that to say, some people take that kind of statement about inspiration and they import all kinds of ideas into that. For example, if the Bible's inspired, it's got to speak clearly on every single issue we could possibly imagine. And I should be able to discern what those are with very minimal, if any, effort or, or study, because otherwise that doesn't really behave like a, a divinely inspired book should behave. I know that's, that sounds, I'm putting it a bit extreme, but for many people, it tends to function in that way. Or there's certain ideas that people hold to and they just go through the Bible and find those ideas, right? Could be a set of texts that maybe comfort them or a set of texts that motivate them or a message about not going to hell and going to heaven. All of these kind of abstractions, people grab onto those things and that's what the Bible is for them. And anytime you engage in serious study of the Bible, which is inevitably going to problematize those abstractions, you put yourself in a position of potentially being alienated from the community of faith that you, you grew up in or that you're a part of. So it's a real challenge. I've noticed this more recently kind of in a visceral way because I have been doing some more kind of public scholarship, I guess you could call it online. I mean, I've been putting myself out there on social media. I'll talk more about the motivations for that in a moment. But what I found in producing some of these kind of short form videos and the responses I get, I get a lot of responses from skeptics and atheists. I'm not sure why that is. Maybe they're just more skeptics and atheists online. I don't know. But what I've, what I've noticed is that the issues that people have with the Bible, and not all, right? So people can be a skeptic, agnostic, atheist for a variety of reasons, and they might have some really good reasons for being what they are or for having the, the particular worldview that they have. So I'm not, not trying to paint with too broad of a brush, but from experience, what I've seen among many skeptics online is that their way of reading the Bible, uh, their approach to the Bible is almost exactly the same as the way that many fundamentalist Christians and even maybe evangelical Christians approach the Bible, which is a highly biblicist, I would say, framework of the Bible. The Bible alone tells us everything, and it's got to tell us this in a certain way. It's got to speak in a certain way. And if we can point out things that, that you know that aren't like that, that's a problem. All of these kind of ideas about what a divine book should behave like or how a divine book should behave, those are shared, actually, between many Christians and many skeptics and atheists whom I encounter online. Um, so many Christians and many atheists read the Bible the same way. It's just one group 
really likes what they're reading. Another group hates it. But a lot of the presuppositions are the same. There's very uh, minimal, in many cases, very minimal, if any, attention to context and almost certainly no attention to the ways in which various Jews and Christians have read the Bible. I recently made a reaction video and one of the critiques of the, this prominent atheist was that the Bible can't serve as a moral authority because it has slave texts in it. And uh, the only way to get around that is kind of aggressive reinterpretation of the Bible. And one of the points that I was trying to make on the video, but I obviously didn't make it clearly enough, is that this way of looking at the Bible, just the Bible says, isn't really, isn't really a thing. The Bible always requires interpretation. And what uh, this atheist is Sam Harris, he's a famous atheist uh, uh, public speaker. What he was suggesting was aggressive reinterpretation, uh, an interpretation that leads to a liberative reading of the Bible that's against slavery, which many Christians have read the Bible that way. That That's somehow aggressive reinterpretation of the text. And one of the things that I found from skeptics was they were saying, but your interpretation is this kind of aggressive reinterpretation. And my comment back was, well, actually, no. If you look at the ways in which Jews and Christians have constantly been negotiating the Bible in light of their current circumstances, this isn't a new thing. So this idea that the Bible speaks like one way, right? That is something that fundamentalist Christians hold on to, but it's also something that atheists use to critique the Bible. When in fact, the Bible has always required interpretation and it's always had a center, a core, and a periphery. And those things are, have always been negotiated, even as the Bible has been written and, and developed, right? So the idea that you shouldn't do that today because that's aggressive reinterpretation of the Bible, or that that's being somehow disingenuous, you just got to chuck it, that's ridiculous if you know the history of biblical interpretation. But again, many people, Christians and non, don't. They, they think that this book you know, if it's a divine book, it dropped out of heaven in English. You don't need context. You don't need to know the ways in which people have wrestled with the complexities of these texts for over two millennia, right? You just read it. And if you read it and you like it, great. If you read it and you don't like it, well, then it you, you, you chuck it. Yeah, numerous examples of the, these kind of interactions. And they're, they're not really compelling arguments if you know the history. But if you've pri primarily engaged with a Christian culture where the idea of Bible is the thing that predominates, well, then these arguments might seem very compelling. Your holy book begins with a talking snake. Ha ha ha, how stupid. Without any regard for how the garden scene has been interpreted in ancient Jewish and Christian uh, writings, right? Your book has, you know, divine violence in it without any consideration for the ways in which Jews and Christians have been wrestling with these, with these issues. So it, it's, not, uh, it's not compelling, but it's understandable because many people privilege the idea of the Bible over the Bible itself. All right, so that's one big thing. My comeback to that, and the thing that I always try to impress on my students, and uh, which I'll offer to you for what it's worth, is I like to say, let the Bible be the Bible. And what I mean by that is, we can hold on to a doctrine of inspiration and inerrancy without superimposing what that might mean upon the actual texts of the Bible. So we have to have a doctrine of inspiration that can actually handle the data, 
Otherwise, it seems arbitrary. And I know that some people who talk about inerrancy, the Bible it ha- um, the Bible is inerrant, it doesn't have any errors, which I would hold uh, doctrinally. Some people point to, yeah, well, that's actually been this, the standard Christian view throughout the millennia. And it's true to an extent, but if you look at the ways in which ancient interpreters handle the Bible, what they regard as inerrant or without error is different in some ways than what a modern American might regard as being without error. So we have to be very careful here because even the presuppositions of what a, what an error is, again, all coming back to how a divine book should behave, these things change based on the cultures we live in. So if we want to have a more informed idea about how the church has done this kind of stuff, we have to learn from the past. And uh, I'm a big proponent of that. So let's let the Bible be the Bible. That's one lesson that I've learned over time that I try to share with people. And we can do that from a position of faith. It's not like we have to, we don't run into critical issues as if every one of them in the Bible is existential. And if it's not solved in a perfect way, we lose our faith. Our faith is ultimately in the triune God. It's a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's secondarily then a commitment to living by the authority of his word. Okay, so that's one. Let the Bible be the Bible. The next issue that I've become aware of, and certainly this has not changed, in fact, it's amped up, is the fear of uncertainty within many Christian communities. Many people see Bible study primarily, if not exclusively, as an attempt to extract right ideas about God, themselves, the world, so kind of extract theological principles download them into their mind, and then hold that. That's kind of the end goal or aim of why you would read the Bible. And so then if you run into all kinds of stuff that you don't fully understand in the Bible, or you run into big questions that you can't explain, well, either you have a faith crisis, or you result to some kind of explanation that, if we're being honest, doesn't really do full justice to the problem. So you might be able, it it might help you personally not have to deal with that issue. But if you offer that explanation to someone else, it may lead them to a faith crisis because it's not a sufficient explanation. And it's presenting itself as if it is, when in fact the problem is much greater. I find that that happens quite a bit in the Christian faith. And I think it's unfortunate because, again, God is much greater than we are. And so if we can't fully explain anything and we're feeling uncomfortable with that, well, that's more really of um, an us issue, right? (laughs) We're feeling discomfort and we want to kind of try to alleviate that discomfort by slapping an explanation on it. Again, not to say we shouldn't try to explain things or understand things, but when we take complex problems and slap on simplistic solutions, we're really not doing uh, ourselves any favors. And if it's mollifying our concerns for a time, it's probably not helping our, our neighbors. So this fear of uncertainty has led me, and, and I, I should say many people when they go into biblical studies, they do it because they think And it's a natural assumption. They think that by learning Greek and Hebrew and getting into the text, they're going to understand more. And that's right to an extent. But what you also find is how much you don't understand. And that continues to grow and grow. And how many things that we can't fully grasp, right? Either we lack historical data. It's a complex problem uh, for which we might never find a solution this this side of the new creation. Only God knows. And so you actually mount up the amount of material that you feel uncertain about. And that can also be 
very disillusioning because when you come into a church setting or ministry context, people often want and demand simple answers. I'm just a simple faith. And okay, I don't want to undermine that. Like the simple faith is true. Like the, the message, God loves us. God gave God's self for us. The gospel message of Jesus as king and ruler of the cosmos. Yes, all of that can be stated simply and we should state it over and over and over and over again in ways that everybody can understand. But this idea of a kind of simplistic faith where everybody, you know, kind of has an aw shucks, you know, you should just simple, simple answers, right, to everything, that becomes very difficult when you actually begin to seriously engage with the Bible and you get to a point where you can't offer that to people and then sometimes they just, they, you've lost them. They don't, they don't want to be around you. So that, that can be tricky. What I find helpful is rather than trying to correct people as if I'm now the authority, I, I just try to open up other avenues for, for thinking. And try to help model in my own life the ways in which I embrace mystery, the ways in which I'm currently wrestling with certain questions and issues. So people can see, hey, hey this is somebody that, you know, has taken a lot of time to study ancient languages and is constantly immersing himself in the history. And, you know, he's still very transparent about a lot of what he, he doesn't know. It's funny, I, I feel like the, the areas that I would, might be considered more of an expert on when it comes to the Bible, those are the areas that I feel the most tension for nuance because I understand the complexities of the problems. Uh, many, many areas where I might state, you know, more forcefully, scholars say, those are places where I'm not an expert in <laughs> and probably leading too heavily on the work of other scholars. So it's on me to really dive into uh, what the arguments are and make sure that, hey, do I really agree what the consensus is and or do I need to push back a little bit? And and so even, you know, when someone says scholars say, you know, you have to recognize that uh, there's a lot of complexity going on in biblical scholarship. And that's not to under, undermine uh, consensus or uh, consensus is important. You know, when we have that, we should take that seriously. But, you know, sometimes things are presented as if they've come down from on high from scholars and we have to take them. And there, there's times where that, that the evidence for the consensus is much more tenuous than your Bible professor <laughs> might let on in the moment of class. So I'm open to embracing mystery, to embracing uncertainty, and uh, I, I invite other people onto that journey. I actually think it opens up avenues for uh, a deepening of faith. So it's, it's a, a, a way of deepening faith or trust in Christ above our ability to arrive at certainty on all of our questions, even as we continue to wrestle with those questions. The last thing that I want to just mention here about, you know, kind of lessons I've learned in the past is a defensive posture. So I think this is actually directly connected to this issue of certainty. I think there's a major impulse towards a defensiveness on the part of Christians because we want to defend the faith. We want to defend God. This is called apologetics, uh, for those of you who might be interested, right? Providing reasons in defense of the faith. And I, I want to be careful here because I don't want to undermine efforts of people who are doing good work in apologetics. I think it's it can be helpful. I do wonder sometimes if the impulse behind it stems again from this insecurity, that if we can't answer our critics always and we can't come out on top of the argument, then um, somehow our faith is insufficient or is weak or something like that. It seems to me like a full embrace of the, seeing the world through the cross might force us to be okay sometimes with appearing weak in certain instances or allowing someone to feel as though they've gotten the upper hand on us. But I mean, I, I'm not against making a public case for the faith, not at all. In fact, I'm 
doing that more so online now because of how many atheists and skeptics are commenting on my uh, on my material. But I think we want to avoid a defensive posture. I think we want to avoid a posture of trying to answer complex questions in too easy of a way. And also just a word of caution, be careful a little bit uh, with apologetics. I think that evangelical apologetics in this in an American context, while some of it is helpful, I think a lot of it is overly simplistic. They often arguments are constructed with almost a cherry picking of biblical evidence, a lack of full awareness of some of the complexity of the data. And so I'm, I'm always nervous about that because I don't want people to feel stronger in their faith or feel strong in their faith based on arguments that are not really that good if they're presented to somebody who, who, who would be able to point out those weaknesses. And so sometimes I, I do think apologetics kind of exists almost primarily to assure uh, Christians of their faith and maybe secondarily to speak to those who, who, who aren't. And um, yeah, I just want to be careful about what we're placing our assurance in. Whether you find an apologetics argument convincing or not, just know that that your faith doesn't reside in that in that argument or in that apologist's uh, ability to explain the Christian faith or to quote unquote dominate an atheist in an argument. Your faith again rests in Jesus Christ, and yes, there are good rational reasons for believing in the existence of God for for trusting the Bible and so forth. But this is not the kind of thing that we can just reason our way or back somebody into a corner. That's just not the way it works. It's not the way human beings are wired. So I think apologetics is primarily useful for pointing out epistemological issues with people that are being reductive, right? So many people, you know, they kind of, I only believe in science or there's a certain way of, of you know, approaching the Bible that is overly simplistic. I think those things are helpful to kind of point that out to people. But ultimately, we want to lead people into a conversation of searching and learning to do so in humility and to show them that, you know, there's a lot that uh, we're open to and don't know, uh, don't know as well. So we avoid being being defensive. I don't think fear or defensiveness is a helpful starting point or, or posture for presenting the faith uh, for living Christianly in the world. I think love is, right? So I want to come back to that a little bit later. So those are some things that, um, you know, I feel like I learned kind of early on in my academic journey that many people like the idea of the Bible more than the Bible. There's an ongoing fear of uncertainty, which often leads to seeking out to explain things away. A great biblical example of this would, of course, be Job's friends, right? Who don't have the full picture, but they have a theological system that they have to hold on to. And so they keep like a hammer, right? Keep slamming Job in the head with that theological system. But uh, but ultimately, we know that was, that was wrong, right? Um, and then uh, the the defensiveness, the, the overemphasis on some kind of apologetics. The other thing I'd point out about is apologetics is very much culturally based. So different cultural communities actually will have different apologetics questions to answer as well. And that's important to acknowledge. I'm very much a believer that we need to listen to our particular context and culture and speak to those those issues. So apologetics looks really different depending on the culture you're part of. So I, I guess I'm primarily speaking about a American, even a white American evangelical culture. That's the kind of apologetics that I'm most familiar with. After I got done with, with Fuller and moved on to do my PhD work at the University of St. Andrews, I was kind of ready to have that change of scenery. And it was a bit of a relief for me, to be honest, in a way, to be out of an American context and the particular debates that we have here and 
you know, the different sides and camps that are entrenched. It was just kind of liberating and freeing to be out of that and not have to worry about that. But what, one of the things I, I th- think I saw begin to happen to myself in that context was, well, one, I kind of did get the academic bug. And so I began to think about, you know, how nice would it be to be like the professors here at St. Andrews and really have very minimal teaching, uh, just get, you know, you're in your office doing research and you don't got to worry about church politics and it all is just the mess of what it feels like American Christianity is, is sometimes. And I say that saying there's issues everywhere, right? But that's the context that I that I came out of. So there was that aspect of it. But I also remember attending a, a fireside chat. We have these every so often, you know, scholar comes in or it's a professor at the university and they sit down, fireside chat. There's like a reception. It's really, it was really great. We get to ask questions and just have a, a really fun conversation hear from the from from people that we might otherwise not really hear from. So this one in particular stuck out because it was right at the beginning of my time and the advice that this scholar gave was stay off social media, don't publish anything kind of like popularly, get off your blog, don't do internet stuff, just focus on your scholarship, do good scholarship and stay out of the mess that's kind of going on out there. And that I really took that to heart <laughs> in the moment. I had a, a blog that I like just started that I was kind of looking forward to blogging my experience at St. Andrews. And um, I went home that night and uh, wiped, wiped away the blog. I was like, all right, yeah, I got to be really careful. I'm just going to do scholarship, put my head down, not mess around with Christian culture more broadly or you know, any, any of these kind of things. I took that really seriously. And there was something that I found attractive about that, to be honest, because um, well, there's something that I've I've found to be kind of safe in a way about academia because, and maybe this is just for me, I don't know, but when you are writing, let's say, academic papers, presenting at a uh, conference, publishing articles, even publishing academic books, you definitely put a lot of your time, your energy, your mental energy, yourself, you put yourself into it and you want it to be received well. But I found that for me, I don't feel as vulnerable with those things as I do in a church context, as I do in a classroom context, as I do when I write for a more popular level audience. Because in those cases, right, when someone disagrees with my argument or whatever, it's like, fine, great, let's go out and have a beer afterwards and we can debate it for two more hours or whatever. It's not a big deal, right? I mean, I've had the experience of having a bad book review here or there and, you know, you get frustrated a little bit, but you don't feel that level of vulnerability that you do when you are preaching or when you are in a classroom context, pouring your heart out to your students, or when you're writing something for the church more broadly or for the world more broadly, and you're just kind of putting your faith commitment, your whole self out there on a, on a platter, right? For people to see, you're just shining a light on it. That's when you feel really vulnerable. And so the possibility of having a career in biblical studies without having to be vulnerable in that way was really attractive to me for a time. And it kind of became the thing, the mission for me in my PhD program. I remember my wife, uh, Jessica, she's asked me this, she asked me this several times, kind of as a challenge, a really helpful challenge, you know, as we were kind of reflecting on the various stages of our life together and how my career, for better or for worse, has kind of led us to move in different places, UK, Germany, Michigan, back to California. She asked me, at what point in time did 
the mission change or did the calling change from, I want to teach the Bible because I love studying scripture. I love God. I love God's people. I want to be a teacher, preacher of the word. When did it change from that to, I want to be a scholar. I, I want to be an academic. I don't want to have to deal with all this kind of stuff. She said, like, when did that change for you? <laughs> and um, it was a really helpful, like telling question, kind of like holding up the mirror. And I think it changed, changed during my PhD program. I began to get a taste of what that could be like and kind of thought there, there was definitely an appeal to it. There was an appeal to being out of the mess and just getting to deal. I mean, you have other things you deal with, right, as a researcher and as an academic, for sure. I'm not, I'm not uh, downplaying that. But for me, it was, it was appealing uh, in that sense of just kind of getting to do technical scholarship and not having to deal with the mess that uh, is involved when you're engaging with real people in the faith communities. So yeah, I was on that trajectory and I went even, you know, got this postdoc in Germany and I'm thinking, all right, three-year postdoc at least. Maybe I even end up landing another European job after that or a job in the UK and that's going to be my career trajectory, right? Or some school in the US. But I'm thinking like, outside of a Christian context because I want to be considered a scholar. I want to be taken seriously. I don't want to be, you know, at one of these conservative evangelical schools. Like all of that's going through my mind and it just didn't work out. And there are a variety of reasons why, why it didn't. One, just getting a job is really hard. But the, the big one was, was health-wise with our family. We just could not stay the course. We had to leave after the first year in Germany because of my son's health. And Basically, it was like, yeah, we got to choose our family over this, right? This is not that important. And fortunately, I mean, by God's grace, I did get a job in the U.S. at a small seminary in West Michigan, a place I'd never been before, Grand Rapids. Got hired at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. And it was really in coming there that I got, I feel like I got saved in a sense from myself. I was headed, I think, down a path of I it would have always been a Christian, but I think my scholarship would have more and more kind of consumed me and become the thing that I just cared about and its connection and relevancy for my faith and, and uh, the life of the church, I think would have continued to wane over the years, given the path that I was on. And so being in a seminary context, I realized really quickly, like, man, I am not prepared. Like, what are they doing hiring me? I'm I'm not prepared to, <laughs> to pour into these students right now. So I had to really wrestle with like, where are you at? What, what is, where are you right now? And, and the students were so gracious, so wonderful. And in many ways, I attribute to those students, the students at GRTS, in many ways, kind of my sense of vocation. They help regain that, just the joy of being in the classroom with the students at uh, GRTS, their generosity, their hospitality, their love the desire to study scripture in this wonderful faith community that really uh, sparked something in me. And I realized, okay, we need, we need to get this back on track. This is what it was. This is why you got into this in the first place. You're getting to do it now. And like, let's go. And so, yeah, I did. I mean, I spent the next few years just loving my time there, loving my students, enjoying every minute of it. I feel like the students there really helped me figure out who I was. I don't think they knew they were doing that, but that's what was happening for me in the classroom. And I was learning that that uh, I think God called had called me to bring a certain level of honesty and vulnerability into the classroom, into my teaching. And so I was just fully kind of walking into that and embracing that and really just growing leaps and bounds, I think, in those in those ways. And so it was like, ah. Oh, 
I, I found it. I found my 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 life career. It's here. Not really a fan of the winters in West Michigan, but you know we'll make it work. Um, I'll dig myself out of the the driveway as much as I need to, you know, and and all this kind of stuff. And we can visit California here or there. Then um, the school, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned this a little bit in episode one, and I, I don't want to get into too many details here, just because it's you know it's my own subjective experience, and also you know the other parties involved don't have the the platform to speak back to 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 what I'm saying. But I'll just share a couple things about the shift of what happened there and kind of what I experienced through that and what it did to me. There was an administrative change. The new president came in at the end of my third year and really drastically, you could tell things were going in a different direction. And um, I was so naive. I I thought that, you know, kind of what we were doing at the seminary was like everybody was on board with that. I, I didn't had no idea that uh, for a long time, you know, the school's board of directors was looking at the seminary as becoming, quote unquote, too liberal and dangerous, especially the Bible department, you know, really bad stuff, you know, all this kind of stuff going on. So really quickly, the seminary it's, was under this microscope and um, there was all this tension, you know, people were gone all of a sudden and you know you just really felt like tense and anxious all the time and and crazy stuff people were like spying on my office at one point taking pictures of my office saying like things like things are about to change around here and everything like it was just it was wild and so every time you come in you come in with this sense of fear anxiety and also deep sadness because it wasn't just affecting me it was affecting the entire student body it was affecting all of my colleagues and I'm just seeing people that I love and care about really hurting and that hurt deeply. It hurt deeply to kind of be in that and not be able to do anything to help the situation. We did what we could. We spoke out. We wrote letters. We tried to be honest and forthcoming about what we saw, but none of it was going to go anywhere. And so it was just a really, really rough year. And uh, I knew that I, I just couldn't do it any longer. I made the decision about midway through that year that I would change my career rather than go back for, for another year. It just was, um, it was taking too much of a toll on me emotionally, spiritually, physically. And of course, it's not, I'm not an isolated individual. So I was bringing it home, you know, and I, I feel horrible about that, but I was, and it was affecting my wife, it was affecting my kids. And so, yeah, I just, I knew that I couldn't do it anymore. I didn't know what God was going to do or <laughs> where things were going to go from there. I just knew I couldn't do it anymore. And uh, so, you know, when I got the job here at William Jessup, it was a chance, obviously, to come back home to California. But for me, more than anything, it was I just needed to, to uh, change the scenery. Coming to Jessup for me was in many ways, if I'm being honest, I think a way to escape that. And my feeling internally when I moved and the school year started was just hide self-preservation right because i after being under this uh this microscope this kind of intense suspicion for a year and seeing other people i loved and cared about treated so horribly i just was ready to kind of hide out and like i don't want to be a part of anything like just i'll do my thing teach whatever and like really quickly <laughs> i had these sort of triggering moments again it's my my issue right but like in classrooms in the fall students were raising certain issues or saying certain things in class again no idea where i'm coming from but saying certain things that were very uh, triggering for me because they were going after topics or going after 
you know, kind of debating me in a way in class on issues that were the very kind of thing that led to all the issues and tensions from where I'd come. So I was like, ah, I was having to deal with that. Um, one student, bless his heart, great guy. Uh, and he meant this out of in love as a joke. He wrote um, on a sticky note, you know, Professor Heretic and slapped it on my door on my, my nameplate. And, um, you know, I, I got a good laugh out of it. And I even I think posted it on my Facebook just to kind of like, look, haha. But um, one of my uh, friends, colleague, former colleague from from the school, you know, she wrote to me and said, like, how, how are you with that? And she was right to point it out because I was trying to kind of laugh it off. And it was a joke, right? I'm laughing it off. But internally, it was kind of triggering because it was bringing up for me all of those old feelings about, yeah, that's what it is when you work at one of these places. They're always after you. They're always out to get you. It's just a matter of time until you say something wrong about the Bible and they're going to gonna get you. And so, yeah, that was, I was kind of going through that a little bit. But this year has been, as much as I've wanted to hide, uh, God's been very good. And so working through the pain has been my process this year. In fact, it's the craziest thing happened to me on um, Ash Wednesday. <laughs> I went to a service at our, our church, a wonderful Ash Wednesday service. I ended up going by myself because we had a couple people in the house that were sick. So I kind of just snuck out just to go for an hour to this, this service and I lost it. <laughs> I ended up in tears the entire time. And I'm thinking like, I just became a member of this church. People don't know me very well. This is going to just be really awkward. Like I've never just I can't think of a time in my adult life where I've uncontrollably cried for an hour straight in a church like that. Like that was just, that was crazy. And um, yeah, I've just realized like all of the remaining anger and bitterness, but really all of the deep sadness and grief, everything, all the emotions that I've been like holding in my body still just kind of released in one whew, movement. And I, I remember kind of coming out of that service and I just felt like God sort of whispering to me, okay, that happened. Now, now we've got, we've got some work to do. And it was kind of like just this assurance you're working through it. And this direction that you're headed in here with the center for Bible study and putting yourself out there again and kind of doubling down on being open and honest and, and, and trying to cultivate that in the faith community, go, let's, let's go. And, and so that for me was just like a really profound marker in my journey in this year. And no one else knows that except for me and now all you all are listening. But uh, yeah, so that, that leads me then to talking about kind of where I'm at as I've been sort of working through all this. Because I really did feel like I was at this fork in the road. Either I go into sort of self-preservation mode, do my publication, do my teaching engagements and just kind of check out. Or I really double down and say, no, I feel like God has given me some kind of voice, some kind of platform, a certain set of gifts that are for the body, for the church, and I'm going to go for it. I'm going to put myself out there. And that night was just kind of confirmation, like, yep, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I don't care. And it's been a great opportunity for me to further dig down deep into what I believe my true identity is in Christ. Because if I'm honest and, and I'm, I'm absolutely assured in who I am in Christ, then if people don't like what, what they have to hear from me or they, they think I'm X or Y or Z, Whatever things they want to throw at me, whatever kind of slander, it doesn't matter because ultimately my identity is is in Christ. And maybe I, I am maybe I say some things that are wrong, maybe I mess up, maybe I screw up. Well, there's opportunities for for repentance, for being honest about those things and and modeling that. So 
yeah, I put myself out there. We launched this Center for Bible Study, which has been really cool. We've been doing these classes, launched this YouTube channel, launched this podcast, doing all these short video content. It's been really crazy kind of just putting myself out there. Um, and it's something I kind of resisted for a long time. Before this year, all I had was a Facebook account that I never, <laughs> never used because uh, I didn't want to be on Facebook. I think the last time I seriously was posting on Facebook was the summer of 2020. And let's just say after I was called like the instrument of Satan a few times, I decided maybe I should, <laughs> I should stop posting so much. So I, I um, yeah, I, I realized though, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to fall on my face. I'm going to look stupid. I'm going to make mistakes, all that kind of stuff. People are going to assume different motivations, whatever. What I'm trying to do is to create conversations that are life-giving, that lead people into deeper relationship with God, uh, help them to love their neighbor better, help them to understand scripture better. And if that's my driving motivation, right, I don't have to apologize for that. I'll just go for it. So that's what I've been doing. It's been a wild ride so far. It's been a few months of this and uh, still learning a lot. Man, they do not teach you anything about video editing, other kind of editing, social media, marketing, all this kind of stuff. It's like a whole new world. And I wish I, someone was joking about <laughs> with me recently, like, you've got a great team. And I'm like, yeah, the team is me. <laughs> I do have a group that works with, with me on some of these short videos, but uh, I've taken on a lot here and it's, it's taken up a lot of time because I'm not very good at it. And it takes me a long time to do everything that I do, but I'm committed to it feel called to it. So I'm going to continue. And so that leads me to the last thing, you know, at least on this, this segment, again, the next, the next episode we do, I'll talk more in depth about what I see as some of the real challenges and opportunities currently in theological education and where I think the center for Bible study fits into that. And not that we're just some kind of one-off. I'm hoping that more kind of grassroots efforts in theological education are going to spring up because they're going to need to in the next decade or so. So who is the Center for Bible Study for? Like, what are, what are we doing this for? Uh, who are we doing this for? First off, I, I'm really motivated to do this for people that are in ministry, that have been in ministry, are training to be in some kind of ministry context, are uh, preparing for that. First off, the qualifications for ministry are different for different people, depending on your denomination situation and all of that. People have different kind of levels of formal education. And what I realized working at a seminary is like, man, most of the students now that are coming to seminary are already in ministry. Like they've been doing it for a long time. Or they're people that are at church and are just like, hey, I just want to understand my faith better. And that's, if you can go to a seminary to do that, you've got the time and the money. Good Lord. I mean, I put out some stuff for free online now that people are paying thousands of dollars to a school to get. It's almost the same thing. So if you can do that, that's great, right? I mean, there's a lot of benefit to seminary and uh, I hope the best for seminaries in the future. But there's a lot of people that they don't really need they're in ministry. They don't really need like a piece of paper. They're, they're, they're wanting more education. They're not needing more degrees or more lines on a resume. They, they just want more space for deep investigation of the Bible and education. So that's whom, whom I have in mind for the Center for Bible Study. Like pastors out there that want to have these kind of in-depth Bible discussions, other people in church that want to have these in-depth Bible discussions, kind of seminary level or graduate level discussions. Again, we, we get academic, but we always make it practical as well. Those, those two things are very important to me. People that are, that are wanting to have that, that don't have the time and the resources to like invest in some kind of formal program, well, you don't need to do that with us. We, we, we're here. We're ready to teach classes. We're, we're ready to work with you to bring classes to churches. If local churches want to work with us, or even we have 
great technology now. We can even do, do distance stuff. So this is kind of my effort to think about how to bring seminary to church in a way. And I'll be talking more about that in the next episode. So uh, pastors, certainly, um, I've met so many other Christians, right? And this is, again, out of my experience teaching in the seminary. So many Christians who are at church, maybe they're lay leaders, or they're just really interested in the Bible. And they're like, I don't have anywhere any outlet for kind of wetting my appetite for academic study of the Bible, like deep, rigorous study of the Bible. And so that's another group of people that we are trying to reach. We want to be a resource to help people who are like that. I get it. Not everybody in church wants to do a kind of seminary class-like study, but in every church, there are some who do. And what do those people do when their only option are a buffet of courses that kind of like are geared towards like have a better marriage or experience financial freedom or, you know, different kind of things like that. Not trying to downplay any of those things or undermine them. But there's not often many outlets for people who are really interested in studying scripture at a deep level in churches. And so, and there's only so many things we can do. Pastors are limited. Churches are limited depending on the gift sets and the people that they have. So we're just wanting to be an additional resource to work with local churches to support people that are wanting to go deeper into their study of the Bible. And then lastly, this is really important to me. It's part of the reason why I shared some some of my story in this episode is I want the Center for Bible Study to be a safe place of theological investigation. There are too many places where people get theological education that are, in my view, way too constrictive Uh, that operate out of a fear-based mentality that if you ask a certain question or you pursue a certain line of investigation, you're walking away from the faith. And there are plenty of people that are in church wanting to ask certain questions, and they, they know that it's not safe to ask them or talk about them at church. Or there's certain conversations about the Bible, the Christian faith that, you know, you just not, you don't feel safe in your, maybe your particular faith community to have those conversations. We're an open space to do that. And, um, you know, I'll be the first to say, whether you agree with me or not, and everything is really not my goal. <laughs> my goal is to help guide you in any way that I can as a co-participant in this faith journey. So anything that I offer as a resource that deepens your love of the triune God and your love for neighbor, great, right? As much as you disagree with me, that, that's fine. Like that's where we're coming from. And you know, to be honest, like when I look at the American context, We are so entrenched in different camps that it's, uh, you know, it's hard, especially if you feel like you don't really have a camp or fit into a camp. And that's sort of where I'm at. I don't feel like I have a tribe or one, you know, camp that I'm a part of. Um, And uh, and I'm not just talking about like, you know, theological particulars, because I'm all for people being committed to a theological tradition and and so on. I'm more so talking about the very kind of constrictive way of thinking about things that Like we've got a set of things that if you don't believe those things, well, you are out. Obviously, we're we're Orthodox Christians here, right? We hold to Orthodox Christianity, but there's a lot of breadth in that, a lot of diversity within Christianity. And that's something that I hope we can learn from, even as we disagree with each other on certain things. I think learning to disagree well and learning to love one another in our disagreements is a major part of our development in uh, in discipleship. When we make theological education all about thinking right thoughts and kind of putting people in different camps based on what they think, we're, I think we're really missing the boat. I think so much of what the Bible is trying to do is to shape us in, in as a, to be a kind of people that learns to love one another in our 
in our differences and to celebrate those things and to see how they actually help us see the text in different ways and in fresh ways. So the Center for Bible Study exists for people that are looking for a safe place to ask questions. You're not going to receive any sort of like harsh judgment from from me or from anyone else. Every class we have, people are coming at it from from different uh, points of view, different perspectives. So I, I really believe that that's important. I think it's an important part of what theological education entails, and it's not something that everybody feels like they have. So it's a safe place. It's a place to be open to explore. And yeah, I mean, that's why I called this podcast On The Way, because we are all on the way with Jesus, learning how to walk more fully and more faithfully. I actually just finished writing an article about ethics in the Gospel of Mark, and I was focusing on this way topic, among other things, but I was focusing on the way in which Jesus comes to people who are blind, spiritually blind, and opens our eyes. And sometimes this happens progressively. In fact, that's kind of the journey point. And I think learning to embrace that, learning to love one another in that, to create space for differences, that is such an important part of theological education, and it's one we're committed to here at the center. So all that to say, a um, lot of stuff going on here. We'll talk more in the next episode about some of the challenges that I see, both trends and just my perception, in theological education and churches in our context, and how something like the Center for Bible Study and other additional resources, not replacements for academic institutions, but other kind of resources, how they are, are going to be essential for the health of local churches, for the health of congregations being equipped with good biblical theological resources. Because if we don't have those, and we'll talk more about this again next episode, but if we are not well-rooted in our understanding of the mission of God as we see it unfold in the narrative of Scripture, we are very likely to construe, or I'd say misconstrue the mission, to truncate it and make it into something else. And uh, there's plenty of examples of what that will look like. So we'll talk more about that in the next episode. Appreciate you all. This is me saying that I am committed to you, committed to putting myself out there in openness and honesty, to falling on my face and looking stupid if need be at times. But let's all choose the, the path of love. We're going to bump into plenty of hate, plenty of animosity. It's going to come from places we might not have expected. It's going to come from our own faith communities at times. And uh, learning how to respond in love, learning how to bear one another, that's so essential. And we each have to make that decision that we're going we're gonna to do that. And um, hoping that many of our congregations throughout the country can model that. Because really our ability to model that directly ties into the name, the glory of God in the world as, he's, as, as God is known. And so it's so critical. So walk in love, love God, love your neighbor. Appreciate you all, and I'll catch you next episode. Thanks. You've just finished another episode of On The Way. Thanks so much for listening to us. We so appreciate it. If you haven't already, make sure that you are following or subscribed to the podcast so that you get the release of each new episode. And we'd very much appreciate if you would write us or rate us on whichever podcast platform you use. That would be awesome. The biggest encouragement I have is for you to consider joining our Facebook group if you haven't already. Link is posted in the episode description. This is a community for all people to just come together, encourage one another in our faith, share resources, and continue on this journey together. Thanks all. We love you. Music.